All right, thanks for being here. Uh, 10 o'clock, second week into the 10 o'clock gathering, our summer schedule. And uh, yeah, you came this morning, it's like, hey, somebody's sitting in my chair. And so 9 o'clock, meet 11, and meet 11, meet 9. And uh, so we're going to continue this on. We're actually going to bump it to the Sunday following Labor Day, okay? And uh, then on that Sunday, we're going to not only have our last um, one gathering, 10 o'clock, but we are, we are also going to have, you know, kind of a, a party to, to kick off the, uh, new, the new school year, the new, you know, changes in schedules, say goodbye to summer. And uh, so our, we'll be back probably to normal on uh, the 18th of September. So this is, uh, you can just sit into this and enjoy this for a couple of months. And um, glad you're here. Now today, we're going to continue our series on the book of Acts. And um, we're going to look at a situation today where uh, it's, it's one that we're, although we're not you know, connected to the specifics of this situation, but we're connected to the idea, and that is um, unexpected pain. You know, especially when you feel like you're doing good, you feel like you're pretty connected to God, you feel like, man, I think I've been growing, and then you find yourself in a season of pain, and uh, man, there's just lots of questions, one of which is why. Why, God, would you allow this? Things are going good. Um, this is not what I expected as as a follower of you, my, my uh, Hebrew prof, Dr. Ron Allen, used to say, the why question, it's a dead question. And he said, it's because you're not going to really know the answer until you're dead. And, uh, and you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that. It's, uh, we, we don't know the whys. Um, sometimes we get glimpses, but usually um, we don't. And uh, it's painful, and it's a head-scratcher, and so we're going to look at um, the book of Acts today, and we're going to just pull out just a couple of things that we know that are true in the midst of those seasons of pain. But let me just give you the context of Acts. Um, we, we're traveling today, two chapters, okay? So I'm just going to kind of walk you through them, and we're not going to read big chunks of it, but we're going to kind of jump in and out of it um, in chapter six and seven. And um, the book of Acts, uh, you know, it, it's really a crazy time. It, it's it's, you know, about 30 A.D. to about 60 A.D. It is a time of change, and, uh, you know, Jesus had just died on the cross, and then he rose again from the dead, and he not only did that to hundreds of people in the, where they saw him at one time, but, you know, over the course of 40 days, thousands of people saw him, and then it's like, okay, what do you do with this? And his followers are about 120, and they say, I know what we do with this. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you a mission, and I want you to spread the, the, the word. I want you to let people know that, that God became flesh, the promised Messiah that was promised in the Hebrew Bible. And I've come, I fulfilled that promise, but I came for a specific reason. That's because I love people. I want them to know that their creator loves them, is pursuing them, and it's made a way for them to be made right with God and enjoy that relationship that they were made to enjoy. And so he gives them the challenge, go into all the world and preach the gospel, okay? And so it's, it's go. But he says, before you go, I want you to wait because the Holy Spirit is gonna come on you in a unique way and that's gonna be the sign to now start going after the mission. So they wait 10 days, not knowing it was going to be only 10 days or more than 10 days, but in 10 days the Holy Spirit came. 
And, um, and it was obvious to them and others because they were given a gift where they could speak languages that they had never studied. And yet other people who were there for this, this uh, uh, feast of Pentecost to celebrate, they understood these Galilean Jews speaking their language. And so they used that gift to proclaim, hey, um, remember Jesus who just died and rose from the dead and many of you seen him? Let me tell you who he is, why he came and what that means to you. And 3,000 people that day, they went from 120 member church to over 3,000 member church in one day. And the church continued to grow and they, and they were committed to each other. And it's like, okay, we're on this new journey together with God. Um, God's doing something new. And so let's learn together. Um, let, let's, let's correct lies that we've been believing and, and let's grow together in our faith. And so they continue to proclaim the good news. They, begin, they continue to study um, the truth of the Old Testament in light of Jesus. And, uh, and they took care of each other. They, they, they met each other's needs. And so it continued to grow. Now, as we get um, closer to today's chapters, think this maybe one to three year period in there. We're, you know, it's not exactly sure, but it's, it's now months of growth and, and there's some changes that are happening. One thing is there's persecution. Um, a couple weeks ago, um, Rick taught on how Peter was, was arrested for doing good and proclaiming good. And so there was a threat of persecution now to this expanding movement of God. And then last week, Jason did a great job just unpacking the story of Ananias and Sapphira, which is about, man, God takes hypocrisy really seriously. And hypocrisy is, is not um, doing wrong. We're human. Everybody's going to do wrong, all right? But hypocrisy is doing wrong and pretending like you didn't. And so what Jesus and what God is calling out in that story is um, I take very seriously um, unauthentic followers of mine. People who say they want to believe or say they want to follow me, but don't really. Who are more concerned, instead of being concerned about really following me and knowing me, they're more concerned about appearing to follow me. And... And God's saying, I take that very serious. I want my followers to be authentic, real followers of me. And, uh, and I don't like those who are pretending. And not that he doesn't like them, but he's not liking their behavior. Okay, So that was a threat. There was external threat and internal threat. And now the external threat just gets ramped up as we're looking at um, the passage today. Now, um, as the church continued to grow... The, uh, the foundation of leadership needed to grow. And so in Acts chapter 6, um, we find that they, they, they established a new layer of leadership in the church that was called deacons. And one of those deacons is a man named Stephen, and that's where we're focusing in on today. Uh, verse 5 in chapter 6 said, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So he... You know, he wasn't a phony. You know, he wasn't a hypocrite. He, was, he had a genuine relationship with God, was allowing the Holy Spirit to guide him in his life, and he, and he didn't talk himself out of the Holy Spirit's guidance. You ever do that? 
You sense, okay, there's an opportunity for me to reach out to somebody. It's going to take some energy. It's going to take some time. Well, maybe I'm not understanding this. And you talk yourself out of it. Well, I think the Holy Spirit was talking to us, and we just basically straight-armed God. And, and Stephen was one that said, okay, if I'm feeling led by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to follow and not talk myself out of it. And he was also a, a gifted communicator, it says. In verse 8, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, okay, who are they? Uh, th those are people, th these are Jews who um, were at one point slaves, and through the occupation of the Roman Empire, Rome had freed them from their slavery, and so now they had that in common, so they had these life experiences in common, so as they became a, Jew, a, a Jewish um, group of followers who kind of hung out together, and they were called the freedmen, okay? Then, um, and the Cyrenians, who are, uh, they were from northern Africa, and the Alexandrians, who were also from northern Africa, what we would call Egypt today, and they're on the coast of the Mediterranean, and those from Cilicia, which was um, Asia Minor, and uh, actually from the area where the Apostle Paul um, was from. And so here's different groups of Jews who had lived in different places, and they now come back under Roman rule to Jerusalem, and they're saying, hey, these followers of Jesus are causing problems. And what they do is they start lying about them. It's, it's you know, defame the witness. I mean, it's nothing new. It, we shouldn't be surprised when... As a follower of Jesus, you're, you're misrepresented because no matter what you're following, you're going to be misrepresented in our world today. And so it uh, shouldn't be a shocker. It's just, and it's not a reason for us to give up. It's just, uh, hey, let's uh, be a real follower of Jesus. And I, I love what Rick said a couple weeks ago. It's just like, okay, we have a chance to uh, speak truth into a situation. And, and so and we have a chance to show that actually we, uh, if we really are followers of Jesus, not only are we being transformed by his love for us, but um, our love for other people is growing. And so let's, let's you know, step up and represent what a real follower of Jesus is. And so that's what they were doing, but they were accused, and Stephen specifically was accused of misrepresenting God and misrepresenting the teachings, the teachings of Moses. And so these claims were brought to this group of people, this court called the Sanhedrin. They're like the Supreme Court at the time. They were under Roman authority, but Roman leaders um, tried to keep their hands off of the Sanhedrin, didn't want to uh, in, you know, interfere. They wanted to keep the relationship good with the leaders of the Jewish people. So this Sanhedrin um, is where Stephen was brought, and, they were, and he was being accused of misrepresenting God and misrepresenting Moses, which is blasphemy. Now, Sanhedrin was made up of... Um, a group of people called the Sadducees and another group called the Pharisees. These are religious leaders. Um, and one of the things that the Sadducees believed in is that the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, the only thing worth studying is the books of Moses, the first five books of the, of the Bible called the Pentateuch. So these people knew it. And so they say, you know what? You know what Stephen and his followers are doing? They're messing with your sacred scriptures. They are misrepresenting the works of Moses. And so that got their attention. So they're like, no, we got to put, put an end to this. And so they bring Stephen 
before them. And so um, there's a Sanhedrin court. And so I want to show you a picture. It's artist rendering of what they thought that looked like. Um, kind of the golden guy in the middle. Uh, I put him there. Um, and that's to represent where Stephen would have been, uh, been positioned to defend himself. And you see the people kind of in the stands around him. That's the 70 members of the Sanhedrin. The person he's facing in the, in the middle is the person who oversees the Sanhedrin. And his name is, it was probably Caiaphas, the same one who Jesus stood before. And, uh, and then you see the fans in the bottom, and, the, and they're just checking it all out. And so probably some of the followers of Jesus were there. Probably Saul, who would later become Paul, was there. And they listened to Stephen as he made a defense to the accusation that he was blaspheming God and Moses. And so what Stephen does is he, is he gives the longest sermon in the book of Acts. Okay? Um, you know, you typically have 35 minutes. I think this was a lot longer than 35 minutes. I think uh, he just went on. And what he did is he started saying, hey, founders of our faith, um, Abraham, let's talk about Abraham. Let's talk about Joseph. Joseph, let's talk about David. Let's talk about Moses. And he goes through and he, and he kind of chronicles the, the, the history of God's faithfulness to his people, even though his people are constantly being unfaithful. And so the Sanhedrin were probably thinking, okay, you know, you're giving us a history lesson. You know, who, you, we're the ones, we're the teachers here, not you. And um, Stephen wasn't giving them a history lesson. He was actually trying to make a point to speak to their hearts, to say, you know what, we, we have a history of um, being hard-hearted and thinking our plans are the best plans, and since there are plans, they must be God's plans, and in the meantime, we're missing God. And then he kind of just drops the bomb in verse 51 of chapter 7. He says, you stiff-necked people. I mean, probably not the way to you know, win friends, but he's just going for it. He's just going, here's the history. Here, here's our tendencies. You're a stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears. And what he's saying is, you guys are acting like you're holy, but you're not. You're missing God. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which, the prophets, um, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? It's like, hey, when, when our ancestors were alive and God had his hand on people to guide them and to guide the people, the people would, would, would persecute them. Some of the prophets were killed at the hands of God's people because they weren't listening to them because they didn't like what they had to hear. And then later on, sometimes they go, oh, yeah, we were wrong. Sorry, we'll build a statue and honor you. But you already killed them. And then he goes on to say, and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, even the ones who proclaimed, you know what, there's going to be a Messiah, a Savior who comes. He said, not only did you kill them, but whom you have now betrayed and murdered, but you've killed the Messiah himself. And so it's just kind of like, you know, if he had a mic, he would have just, boom. He would have just dropped it and said, okay. There you go. That's what I'm thinking. And you tell me, have I misrepresented Moses? Have I misrepresented God? 
because um, we are a people who have constantly missed God at work around us. And it's still happening today because you're missing it. And man, th- th- there's, a, there's something for us to take home. Are we so busy with our plans and the things that we think makes total sense and is totally rational? And if God was with me right now, I would convince him how this totally makes sense and it's totally rational, and he needs to be you know, carrying this out, and he also needs to do it on my timetable. And so are we so obsessed with ourselves that we're missing the fact that God is with us, and he's around us, and he's at work, and he's communicating to us if we have ears to hear him, and he's saying, follow him. And so, man, you know, the heart, our hearts are all the same, you know, same back then as they are now, we have a bent towards selfishness and towards being self-centered. And Stephen's given them a gift by saying, hey, you have a chance, man, let's, let's wake up and let's, let's break this, this rut that we're in, this pattern that we're in. Well, um, they didn't respond well. They were furious. And they condemned Stephen to death and they grabbed him and they dragged him outside and they began to throw rocks at him until he died. Great man, Stephen. Leader of this new growing movement. And now the followers of Jesus are going, man, things have been happening. Good things are happening. God, you could have intervened and stopped this. Why did you allow this to happen? This makes no sense. And yet, that's what happened. And so here's a couple things that I I want us to remember. Because there's people in this room, and, and you are in that season. You're in the season of pain. And it makes no sense. I told you, um, I don't know, a month and a half ago now, Kathy went in for a simple heart procedure almost killed her. And so while we're trying to figure this out, while I'm shocked, um, I'm praying. I'm calling out to God. And uh, one of my prayers was, God, what are you doing? I mean, I've got the word out. I know a lot of people are praying for Kathy. But in this moment, I'm ticked. I, I know you're with me, but I'm not feeling it. I know you care for my wife, not feeling that either. And I just cried out. Man, I, I, I felt pretty safe in doing it because I had read the Psalms. <laughs> Man, that's, you know, that's just David being real, isn't it? Going through different painful times of life, different struggles, and just being real. And, and God wants us to be real with him, and I think the church was probably going, what is going on, God? But here's something we do know. Even if we don't feel it, we do know this. Um, Verse 55 in chapter seven, as Stephen was being grabbed and taken and dragged outside, and Stephen knew what he was facing. This is what happened, verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You know, I, I think God just said, let, let me just pull back the curtain for a second, Stephen, and just remind you in your midst of um, tragedy, 
just want to remind you what also is going on. And you just offended us before the council and the Sanhedrin. And I want to remind you that God the Son, Jesus, is at the right hand of God the Father going, he's ours. We see him. We love him. We care for him. See, in the midst of seasons of pain, um, God has not abandoned you. And he's with you. God saw Stephen. God sees you. Um, it doesn't mean season of pains all of a sudden become cured, that circumstances change. It doesn't mean that you don't experience pain. I mean, pain is real. Grief is real. Sorrow is real. And every one of us are going to experience those things. And, you know, as good Americans, we uh, don't want to. I mean, we want comfort. If things go good, then I'm comfortable, I'm secure. And, uh, and God says, if things go good, you may experience pain. Because I'm after things that, that you know, are bigger than comfort. Uh, one of those things is, and this is true of me, is I can honestly tell you that um, my most intimate times with God and growth with God have been in seasons of pain. I don't know if I would, uh, if I would enjoy my life with God the way I'm enjoying it now if, I, if God had allowed me to avoid those seasons. But God's at work and he's with us. And uh, even when we don't have the answers to the questions, why? He's with you, he loves you. Nothing will ever change that. He's proven that. He created you, he knows you, and he loves you. And he's made it clear that he held nothing back in his pursuit of you. And we, we can't question it. Even though there's gonna be legitimate times where we're not feeling it. God's with you. Now, I want, I want to do something and just take a moment here to do something a little bit different. It's going to take a little courage for some of you. And that is, uh, I just don't want to go on and ignore those who are in seasons of pain. And so, in a, in a couple of minutes, in a minute, I'm going to ask, if you're willing to, I want to invite you, if you're in a season of pain, um, to stand. And then, those who aren't in the season, but would love to pray for them. I want you to keep your eyes open, look for somebody standing, and go to them, and uh, just one or two people pray for them. And put your hand on their shoulder, and just pray for them. Now, you don't need to share what their season of pain is. That can stay anonymous. But the person praying, just pray that the God of all comfort would be their comfort, would be their strength that they would experience the love and the grace of God. And uh, it can be a short prayer, but uh, um, let's, let's do that. And if you're at home, and um, man, take this time just to pray for somebody you know is going through that season, or maybe it's you, and just be honest and authentic with God.
and talk to them about where you're at in the season. And so I want to invite you if, you, if you're currently in a season of pain, would you, just, would you just stand where you're at? Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, thanks. Awesome. And then if you're willing to pray for them, would, would you just stand and go to them and put your hand on them and let's just take a moment and pray. and Keep your eyes open. Look for people who don't have somebody with them. We have some people in the back, people over here in the back. All right, let's just take a second and pray. Father, I pray for each person who is standing and those who are in seasons of pain but just didn't feel comfortable to stand. Um, you say that you are the God of all comfort. And so I ask that you would, in a supernatural way, bring them comfort in the midst of difficulty. That they know that uh, you love them. You give them just the clarity of your love for them, that they are not alone and allow him to spirit experience your grace. And it's in your son's name that we pray, amen. Thank you, thank you for standing and thank you for praying. Um, so Stephen was in a difficult situation that ended. It ended by him um, going to be with his father. But those left behind were, uh, were going, why? And they were grieving, and it continued. And they weren't getting their questions answered, and, and God just gives us a little glimpse of what's going on here. In a chapter eight, verse one. And Saul approved of his execution. Okay, now Saul was a Jew, a zealot, who, who was out to find followers of Jesus who he thought they were all messed up all wrong, they're a cult, they're threatening our true faith, and he was out to, to arrest them and have them killed. And he was there when um, Stephen was killed. Now, Saul's about to become a follower of Jesus. And I wonder what he was thinking when he was listening to Stephen and then saw him killed. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, which was the hub of the church. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. They began to flee for their lives, except the apostles. And we're thinking, okay, if this is a movement of God that was to change the world, then why is God allowing this persecution? Why are they running for their lives? How can this be part of God's plan? Well, it, it's a beautiful picture of how even in seasons of pain, God 
can birth life and joy. God can birth life and joy. And actually, if you go through the Bible and you look at the big picture of the Bible and those and different um, things that happen through human history, you see how, I mean, I, I love that song we sang. You, you turn graves into gardens. And that's, man, that, that's the work of God through history. And they weren't seeing it. They were seeing this as a major setback. But God was saying, no, no, this isn't a setback. This is a setup. This is part of my plan. And this is going to turn into joy in life, even though we're in a season of pain. Acts 1.8. This is Jesus, one of his parting words and challenges to his followers. He'd already given them the Great Commission. He said, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts, after he had risen from the dead and he had been stick, sticking around a while, right before he ascends and leaves them, he's, he reminds them in Acts 1.8. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And see what, in this critical moment, in the martyrdom of Stephen, God used this persecution to begin plan B in his mission. Let's take the good news to Judea and Samaria. In, the, in, the next, in chapters eight through 11 of the book of Acts are that next step in God's plan to bring life and hope to the world. And he's saying, you know, the Jesus followers in Jerusalem were enjoying being together, and they were enjoying learning, and they were growing, but they had taken their eye off the ball. What's the mission? Let other people know. In Jerusalem, but in Judea, in Samaria, and the othermost parts of the world, of the earth. And God says, okay, let me... Let me get you going. And he uses this moment of tragedy um, to bring good news. And really the Gentile mission, 8 through 11, is where people who thought they were outside of the faith, and the Jews had gotten comfortable thinking, hey, if you want to become a follower of Yahweh, then come to us. You know where we're at. We're in Jerusalem. Come to us. And Jesus has said, no, go to them. Go to them. Take the message to them. Don't wait for people to come to you. But share the hope that you have. Share the hope you have. Get moving. Go. And that's the next step in the, in the book of Acts. And how God took the pain of death and birthed joy and life to people eventually all over the world. Um, so Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this. It says, God's ways are not our ways. And I think uh, that makes sense to me. Because there's a lot of things I think that God should be doing. And uh, he's not listening to me. But uh, man, if, if God thought like me, then he, he would not be worth being worshiped. You know, if I could figure him out, uh, then that means he's not omniscient. You see, I see the here and now. In my here and now, I have a plan, and it's logical, it's rational, it makes sense. Um, but then I know that, you know, God not only sees this moment, 
But he sees all of human his, history simultaneously. He sees it all. And he sees how things unfold over time and how his plan to redeem people and to let people know that he loves them and is pursuing them and, and is calling them to, to be reconnected to their maker, he sees how that is unfolding. He's omniscient. And God's plan's not my plans. And I need to be thankful for that. And I need to rest in that. And God's at work turning graves into gardens. And, and I just um, want you to hear one story. And I asked Pastor Rhonda if she would come up and just share a little bit of, uh, of her story and how that's worked. So um, I, our family experienced a, a graves to garden story. When I was seven years old, I grew up in a farm. And through a series of circumstances one day, uh, I, as a seven-year-old, decided it was going to be really smart to light a match when um, some fuel was around, and I, there was an explosion, and I was critically injured. And so I was rushed to the hospital um, uh, after consulting with doctors, and it was a small country hospital. We lived in a small town in northern Canada. Um, it was determined that I was 45% burned, 35% of that was third degree, and I would not survive. And my parents, who were 28 and 32, were faced with this graves. And it was a difficult, difficult reality. They followed Jesus. I followed Jesus, even at a young age. And so um, they were faced with this reality. Um, about a, a week later, I had actually survived. Well, I'm here, so I actually survived. <laughs> Spoiler, right? Spoiler. Um, a week later, the, uh, the doctor said, okay, she will survive, but she'll be in the hospital a year. And um, burns are very difficult. There's a lot of procedures. There's a lot of pain. And uh, my mom said, I just don't know how we do this for a year. Um, another miracle. I walked out of that hospital five weeks after I was burned. So a true miracle healing of God. But it changed our family. Now for me, I it was happening to me, and I saw God's faithfulness. There's so many stories of God showing up in that hospital, and um, how he, I knew I was saved for a purpose. I knew that he loved me. And even the memory of pain, I don't hold on to that. God has uh, erased that from my memory for the most part. My mom, however, was angry. And that's a response. That's a normal response. Bill talked about it with Kathy. Um, but I was so thankful that her anger was towards God. She didn't turn her back on God and, was, and, and, and abandon him. Uh, he never abandoned her. But she turned toward him, and he got an earful a lot of the time. She was so mad. What purpose would God have to burn this small child so badly? My dad didn't blame God. He actually blamed himself another normal response. He trusted God, but if he'd only done this, if he'd only done that, then this wouldn't have happened. And so um, what I loved about my parents, even in the midst of their pain, they processed with God, they processed with other adults, they never processed with me. They only told me of God's faithfulness. They told me of God's purpose for my life and how he was working in it. And so as we moved out of that season, 
man, I didn't want to miss one thing that God had purposed for me to do. And so I wanted to know God deeply. I um, always really connected with God after that. And um, I thought it was one thing, but it ended up being a lifetime of things. Some of them big things like being here and sharing with you and some small things like loving my neighbor and just showing up for people. My parents, um, some people showed up for them. Other people didn't. And so what they learned is rather than be upset with the people who didn't show up, they chose to be the people that showed up. And they asked themselves, what really matters in this life? God and his people. And so my parents, they, they lived in a small town, but people who were wounded, people who were suffering would find their way to our farm or my parents would find them in relationship. And um, they would sit with people in their places of pain. They had no answers because they didn't have answers when I was burned, but they allowed people to just process through. And then if and when it was appropriate, they would share the hope that they'd found in Jesus. And for me, you might think, oh, that's why she became a pastor, right? Well, no, actually, I didn't become a full-time paid person until I was 33 years old. I was just doing what each day what God had called me to. We would say as a family, would we want, would we choose this? Nobody would choose that. Nobody's going to say, hey, let's go through this awful thing. But we look back on it and we say we would never want it taken away because it dramatically changed our lives. And we have been able to use it for God's glory over and over again. So we give God thanks. And if you're here today, you're going through that tragedy, I encourage you, draw near to God. Even face him and be angry. It's okay. And he will meet you right where you're at. You know, sometimes we, we get answers. Sometimes, I think most times we don't. You know, Peter was arrested and was put before the Sanhedrin, and, and then he was miraculously released. Stephen was arrested, put before the Sanhedrin, and was martyred. We, we, we're just not going to know um, all the answers to the questions, why? But it doesn't mean there's not answers. God's a God who, who's at work, and he loves you, and he's kind, and he's good, and he brings about his good and his glory. And just because I, I'm not smart enough to figure it out, I, I'm, I don't have the, the, the view of all of life and I don't know the answers, it doesn't mean there isn't answers. God's a good God and he loves you and we can bank on that. And in the midst of pain, um, he wants you to experience them and to grow and to uh, even be able to enjoy him in the midst of pain. Here, here's what Stephen said as he was dying, this, verse 59. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He died. Man, it sounds like Jesus on the cross, doesn't it? How, how can you do that? How, how, can you love for, how can you love people who are killing you? 
That's really different than what we see today. What we see today is actions of, of the Sanhedrin. I don't agree with what you're saying. I'm threatening to me. And so we are unbelievably angry. And this is saying followers of Jesus who are connected to Jesus uh, enjoy the love of Jesus and that gives them peace in the midst of pain and gives them clarity and even growing love for others, even our enemies. And so where are we pressing into? If you're growing in anger towards your enemies and you're watching too much news. <laughs> I mean, um, that's, that's the thing today. Let's grow in anger. Let's, let's cancel them. Let's get rid of them. Let, let's, I mean, if you look through the movement of God in Acts, it was constant persecution. Constant persecution. And as you look through the book of Acts, you see Jesus followers going after the mission of Jesus and they're constantly leading violent revolts, aren't they? No, they don't, ever, ever. So what's our hearts being influenced by? I think it's a time for us to press in to God and allow his love to be experienced in our own hearts and then our, allow our hearts to grow in our love towards other people, even our enemies, just like Stephen. Let me tell you a couple deaths that can bring forth joy in life. The death of the illusion that I'm in control. I wanna be in control. I wanna control all things. When things are happening that are not in my control, especially like family, things close to me, I wanna control them. And I gotta give that up. I'm not in control of all things. I need to trust God with all things. I need to die to the need to live a life of comfort. Because when discomfort comes and seasons of pain come, I'm gonna first look for a way to escape it. And you know, lives of, uh, seasons of pain come. And I don't need to run from it, but I can step into it knowing that God's with me and I can walk through this season um, and grow and learn, even though it's not my choice. But uh, I wasn't created to run from discomfort. I need to die to the idea of keeping my spiritual journey private. Uh, this is just between me and God. Nobody else needs to know. Nah, there's no way you can go and spread the good news of Jesus and keep your journey private. It's like, well, I don't know much. Well, you know more than somebody else. I mean, just share your journey and what you've learned from God and what you've experienced in that journey. Die to a breathing private. And you know what? As you engage others, uh, God may bring or use you to bring life and joy in a relationship with him to others. Uh, I just ask you to bow your heads. And if any of those things resonated with you, if, if something you feel like God's been talking to you about this morning, I want you to just restate that to God. This is what I'm hearing from you, God. And, and how does that impact the way you live?
And for some this morning, um, man, the step for you is just to surrender to him. It's to recognize I'm not in control and you are God and I need to surrender to you. And so talk to him about that. And just recognize that God, uh, say something like, God, I recognize today and I've known that you love me and that you've been pursuing me. I also know that I've been following my best thinking instead of yours. And so I ask forgiveness. And I turn um, away from that and I turn to you. And I put my hope in what Jesus has done for me so that I can be forgiven and brought into your family. And would you begin making me the person that you created me to be? Father, we thank you um, for this painful, painful season in the life of your new church, new movement of yours that uh, you turned ashes into beauty. We thank you for that, Father. May we not just be hearers of your word, but may we allow these truths to sink into our soul and our spirit. And may it be transformative of our life. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If uh, you, you prayed along with me this morning and you made that decision to surrender to God, then, then I would um, ask you to do one more thing. It's on your way out this morning, as you go out those doors, in the center there, there's um, a station. And just go up to them and uh, just let them know, hey, I, may, I prayed that prayer with Bill today. I made that decision to follow God. And they have some information they want to get in your hands. It's not a, um, here, if you sign up now, you can get, you know, it's not anything, it's, it's not a marketing scheme. It is basically, here's just some, some, some verses from the Bible that are going to reinforce the decision that you just made. So if you have questions, wherever you can go back to that and you can read through it and help reinforce those truths. And then also, how, you know, what, what do you do now? I mean, what's the life with God look like? How do I grow this relationship and learn from him? It has a couple practical, really simple ideas about how that can look. And so uh, make sure you go out and you grab that at that center station. If you're online, um, go to rollinghills.org. I think they have the, did they already have it up there? There you go, rollinghills.org slash next steps. And uh, give us your information and we'll send that, we'll send that sheet to you. Um, one of the things that Stephen, Stephen um, talked about in his sermon is he talked about how uh, the people who were called followers of God, they, they, they fell into this habit of going through their celebrations and their ceremonies and, and disconnect, being disconnected from the significance of what they were trying to celebrate and remember. And so this morning, we're doing one of the things that Jesus asked us to do, and that is take communion. And, uh, and we, don't wanna, we don't wanna do that. We, we, we wanna take communion. We don't want to miss the significance. And so in a second, I'm gonna have you come up and take the bread and the cup and, and they're stacked on each other. So just take, um, take them out together and go back to your seat and stop yourself, slow yourself down. And remember that this bread and this cup, it stands for the body of God the Son that was broken for you 
And the cup stands for the blood that was shed, his blood that was shed, so that we can be forgiven by him. And so uh, embrace and just remember the goodness of God towards you. And it's personal. And thank him. Now, uh, we have right in the middle here, we have an aisle right in the middle of these. And so everybody on the front end, come up to these tables. Everybody behind that aisle, go back to the tables back there. Um, with one exception, and that's if you're looking for gluten-free or the prepackaged stuff, and that's all up here, okay? And so let's take a moment and uh, sit in the significance of, of communion and what Jesus has done for us as we continue to worship and as um, we take communion back at our chairs.